Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us on this uh, crisp autumn morning. Uh, if you have a Bible or if you have a phone where you can pull it up, if you pull up First uh, Timothy chapter 2, just like to look at that passage with you for just a couple minutes. Timothy chapter 2 says this, First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this reason I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling you the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. John Ortberg once said this, Our fallenness makes us want to be a part of not just any group, but an exclusive group. He says, by definition, every society includes people who connect, who belong to one another. Yet every society includes people who feel left out, who don't get chosen at recess, whose invitations to dance get turned down, who get blackballed and cold-shouldered and voted off the island. We exclude others because of pride or fear or, or ignorance or the desire to feel superior. Being fallen human beings, we all have a tendency to exclude other people. And uh, this can go to kind of silly extremes. For example, there's a dating website called beautifulpeople.com. And this website is very a very exclusive group. To be a part of this community, you have to be uh, nominated. And then after you're nominated, the people who are members of this group have to decide whether they think you're beautiful or not. And if a majority decides that you're beautiful, then you can come into the community. If not, then you're not allowed in. Several years ago, this group kind of caused a stir because they kicked out 5,000 members of their community because they happened to put on a few extra pounds at Thanksgiving time. The news uh, release from the uh, founder of the company suggested that this image formed a direct threat to their business model. model. Company spokesmen defended their actions. They asked, is it elitist? The founder said, yes, it is, because our members want it to be. Is it lookist? He says, yes, it is, because our members want it to be. Is it politically correct? No, it's not, but it's honest. I mean, that's a silly extreme of excluding other people, but from... Just kind of since preschool and kind of up, people have this tendency to exclude one another. Starting in preschool where, you know, certain kids are not allowed to play. Certain kids are are, are kind of ostracized from other kids. And it continues into middle school and high school and even into adulthood. Where maybe in adulthood it's one coworker who, for whatever reason, is kind of ostracized from the community. It's part of our sinful human nature to exclude some people. 
And it's happened on the societal level. It's happened in our country, not just our country, but every country, as, as Ortberg said. It's a part of all fallen societies. For us as a, as a country, it started uh, hundreds of years ago when our, our forefathers enslaved African Americans. And for several hundred years, they were, they were enslaved. And then finally, when they were offered freedom, remember what was said. It was said that it sh- they should be separate but equal, in other words, excluded from society. But it's not just with Africans Americans. It's other people that maybe are different than the majority uh, population. Years ago, the mentally ill were kind of ostracized from the community sent to mental institutions. Years ago, I remember after Pearl Harbor, people feared uh, Japanese people. And there were thousands of Japanese Americans, many of whom were born here in the United States, who were sent to internment camps. Even after 9-11, there was, uh, to a smaller scale, uh, there was this prejudice against people from uh, Arab descent, and there was this tendency to exclude them from society. Thankfully, we've come a long way on these issues. Still have some progress that needs to be made, still have a ways to go, but we've come a long way. But there's one area where I think we've gone in the wrong direction. And I think that's the ability to interact with people who disagree with us. Instead, we tend to exclude people who disagree with us now. If you look at the two presidential candidates it's pretty clear that they hate one another. And it's not just the people at the top, it's also these lower-level leaders, and even many citizens where people hate another person because of how they believe certain things. I mean, it's gotten so bad that there's been even talk of a civil war in the United States. Hopefully never comes to anything like that. David Barker, the director for the Center of Congressional Presidential Studies at American University says this, every single thing about our lives is divided along partisan lines. He says we just do not encounter people from the opposite side of the aisle very often, and if you don't encounter them, you're not likely to be exposed to any information that could change or moderate your position. We live in a culture where it's easy to exclude people for various reasons. But again, it's not just our culture. This was happening back in Paul's day as he was writing the book of 1 Timothy. There were some people, some Jews, who believed that the gospel was only for them. That the God of Israel was only their God and not for the nations, the Gentiles, people from other nations. There are some people called the Judaizers who said that people from the nations had to become Jews in order to be saved. We don't know completely the nature of the error what, uh, of what Paul is countering here, but it's clear that Paul was countering some kind of exclusive teaching that taught that the gospel is only for certain types of people. The book of 1 Timothy, of course, again, is written by Paul to Timothy. Timothy was a younger, uh, younger man than Paul, and Paul had kind of been mentoring him. And Timothy is working in the church at Ephesus, and Paul writes to him to kind of encourage him and give him some advice on how to lead the churches that he's a part of uh, in in Ephesus. And so we see in his admonition here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, in these eight verses, we see one word that appears over and over and over again. 
And that word is all. All appears six times in these eight verses. It starts right at the beginning where Paul says, first of all. In other words, listen up. Pay attention. This is one of the most important things that you need to understand. And then he goes on and he tells Timothy what he should do and then later why he should do it. So the first thing he tells him, what should you do? He says that you should pray for all different types of people. He says, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. Now, let's not get caught up in all these different kinds of prayers, thanksgivings, intercessions, supplications. Uh, That's kind of a message for another time where we could kind of look at what the different ways to pray are. Uh, But that's not Paul's point here. He's simply trying to communicate that we should pray for all different kinds of people in all different kinds of ways. But I think what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to pray for some people in some ways. We pray for some people. Oftentimes we pray for the people that we care the most about. We pray for our loved ones, friends. And how do we pray for them? We usually pray something about something they're going through. We pray, okay, Grandma Sally, her back is hurting. Let's pray for her back. Uncle Joe, let's pray for uh, his heart issue. And we pray for different requests like that. And, And there's nothing wrong with that. That's a good thing to pray for. We should be praying for those things. But Paul says you shouldn't stop there. We can't just be praying for some people in some ways. He says we should be praying for all people in all ways, all different types of prayers. When's the last time you prayed for the person that cut you off on the throughway? When's the last time you prayed for the coworker who just gets under your skin, who, who just annoys the heck out of you? When's the last time you prayed for that loved one who you're no longer talking to? When's the last time you prayed for your former spouse who left you? When's the last time you prayed for the friend who gossips about you, stabs you, stabbed you behind your back? See, Paul says God is calling you to a greater kind of prayer. There are many people in the world, the majority of people in the world pray to one degree or the other, but there's a very few people who pray for their enemies who pray for all people, whether they like them or not, whether they get along or not. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 43 to 45, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same thing. Jesus says, pray for those who persecute you. He calls us to a higher standard. Let's not just pray for some people, the people that we like, the people who care about us. Let's pray for all people. All the people in our our lives, whether we get along with them or not, whether they're godly or not, let's pray for all people. And then he takes that one step further and he goes on and he says that we should pray for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Again, note what he says. He doesn't say pray for some rulers, some kings. He says pray for all people in authority. Again, I think we have that tendency to pray for the people that we want 
that, that we maybe agree with their policies rather than praying for all in authority. See, we should be praying for Governor Como. We should be praying for President Trump. And depending on where you are on the political spectrum, you probably really don't like one of those two people. And yet Jesus calls us to pray for both of them. Anyone who's in authority over us. The reason being that our well-being is in a sense tied to their ability to rule well. Of course, the government can't stop the spread of the gospel, but it can impede it. And we need to pray that the, those who are ruling over us would rule justly so that the gospel might spread forth. And we think about these two men especially, and really all politicians and people in authority, they have some serious flaws, both of them do. But they're not even in the same realm as the emperor who was in charge in Paul's day. The emperor who was in charge when Paul wrote 1 Timothy was the emperor Nero. Nero was completely crazy, maniacal, evil to the core. He had his mother murdered. He had an affair with a married woman. He started Rome on fire, allegedly, allegedly singing while Rome was burning. Then he went to blame it on the Christians, persecuted Christians. Later in his life, after, after this uh, book of 1 Timothy was written, he was involved uh, in pedophilia. He eventually, tradition tells us, killed Paul. Paul was a martyr at the hands of Nero. Nero was not someone who was worthy of Paul's prayers. And yet Paul says, pray for all those who, in who are in authority. And the miraculous thing is that when we pray for people, all people, whether they're in authority or just the people in our life, when we pray for our enemies, God starts to soften our hearts towards them. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hate in our country. We don't need any more anger. We don't need any more hate. We need God's people praying for all people. And as we do that, God starts to change our hearts because it's hard to harbor bitterness and anger when we're praying for someone's well-being. It's hard to hate someone that we're praying for. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said this, A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another, or it collapses. He says, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. His face, that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me, is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. This is a happy discovery for the Christian who begins to pray, for others. So as we pray for others, we begin to see them as God sees them. And so Paul says, pray for all different types of people. Pray for all those in authority. And then he gives the reason why we should do that. And, and there's two reasons. Number one, it's because God's desire is that all people would be saved. In verse 4 it says, This is good and is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires for all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. There's an old story, a Hasidic story, uh, about the time when, remember when God led the Israelites out of Egypt and then they were crossing the Red Sea and the Israelites crossed through to dry ground and then when the Egyptians came through, the waters fell upon them and the Egyptians drowned. And after this event, it was said, and of course this is a fictional story, it's not you know, something in scripture, but after this event, 
It was said that the angels were rejoicing in heaven. They were having this great party that God had delivered the Israelites from Egypt. But God wasn't present. And so some of the angels came to Michael, the archangel, and he said, well, where is God? Why isn't he rejoicing? And Michael responded and said, well, God is off by himself weeping because many thousand people died today. God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. His desire is that all would come to repentance, all would experience his life. Years ago, there was a lady named Tori Matthews who worked for the Humane Society of Southern California, and she received this call that an iguana had fallen into a swimming pool. Apparently it was on uh, a branch, and then this uh, cat came and scared it, fell into the swimming pool, and so she arrives at this, at this residence, and it was this little boy's pet, and it's at the bottom of the pool. And so she dove in with this net, pulled it out, and this iguana was just lifeless. It was close to death. And so she thought, well, what am I going to do with this? She thought, well, I've, I've given dogs uh, CPR and mouth-to-mouth, so I guess I could try it with this iguana. And so there she gave the iguana mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, and it came back to life. And then afterwards she thought about that, and she's like, that was a really ugly animal, and I just kissed that animal. But in that moment, she didn't see that ugly animal. She saw a little boy's pet that was loved. And sometimes as we're living our lives, there's some people that have a really hard exterior And they really just get on our nerves. But God sees them as a son or a daughter. God sees them as valuable. And so we need to pray for them and have God's heart for them. So we need to pray for all people because it's God's heart that all people would come to repentance, that they would be saved. And also we need to pray for them, he says, because there's one God. Now, the ancient Jews had a statement of belief that was called the Shema. The Shema was one of the most uh, important statements of belief that the ancient Israelites had. And the Shema went something like this. It said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And so they used this kind of an exclusive sense to say, there's one God and he has revealed himself to Israel. And we have kind of a corner on God. So God is ours, so to speak. He's not for the nations, he's for us. But see, Paul takes this and he turns it on his head. And he says, there is one God, and because there's one God, it's clear that God created all nations. He created Israel, but he created all the other nations as well. And Israel doesn't have a corner on this God, he is a God for all the nations. And he continues and says in verse 5 that there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself up as a ransom for us all. So Paul argues that there's only one God, there's only one way to that God, that's through Jesus Christ. There is no no other, there's one way to the Father. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. He's the one who came and showed us what a life with God can be like. He showed us what freedom is could be like and then he made a way for us to get there in 2005 there was a man by the name of Xinjiang Yuk and Xinjiang Yuk became the first person ever to escape from a total control internment camp in North Korea extremely repressive regime 
extremely restrictive and, and persecuted situation, and yet he escaped. But see, Shin Yong-yuk, it was interesting because he was born in this internment camp. All the life that he had ever known was life in Camp 14. The prisoners treated, or the, the guards treated the prisoners brutally, making them work for hours and hours and hours each day, and then sleeping very little, and then having to do it all over again the next day. And he figured that's what life was like, and he didn't actually even think about escaping for the longest time, because he figured that life was the same way outside of Camp 14, that there'd be prisoners, there'd be guards, and this was his reality. This was what he thought the life, what life was like. But one day there was a man named Park who was brought into the internment camp. And he started to tell Shin Yong-yuk some stories that he'd never heard before. Stories of freedom. Shin Yong-yuk had never tasted chicken before. He thought it would be the coolest thing to taste chicken. Park told him how if he was free, he could have chicken, and not only could he have chicken, he could have it whenever he wanted Wanted it. This just blew Shin Yong-yuk's mind, that you could experience a reality, that you could have freedom outside of Camp 14. And so they decided together they were going to try to escape. It was Park who went first, and Park, as he was climbing up the fence, encountered an electric wire, an electric, uh, electric part of the fence, Almost immediately, he died. Untold number of voltage shot through his body. But as he did that, his body fell over the fence, and Xing Yong-yuk was able to crawl over his body and not get electrocuted, and went to freedom. Finally, he made his way to South Korea and apparently ate a lot of chicken after that. See, Park came and showed Xing Yong-yuk what freedom was like. He'd never experienced it before. And he made a way for him to experience freedom. And that's what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus came to the earth and he showed us what freedom is like. He showed us what a relationship with God is like. And then he made a way for us through his sacrificial death on the cross so that we might experience a relationship with the Father. So Paul says we should pray for all people. Pray for those who are in authority over us because it's God's desire that all would be saved, that all would come to repentance because there's one God and there's one mediator, Jesus Christ. So how do we sum this up today? How do we, what can we walk away with today? God's love is not for some of us. God's love is for all of us. God's love is not for some of us. God's love is for all of us. Sometimes life can get really complicated, but really when life is really boiled down to the core of what it is, it's quite simple. We're born, we live a relatively short time, and then we die. And what matters is where we're going to spend eternity. Maybe there's someone here who's never settled that question of where they're going to spend eternity. And if that's you today, let me encourage you, based on this text, based upon God's word, God cares about you. God loves you. His desire is not that you would spend forever separated with Him. His desire is that you would have a relationship that begins today and goes on forever. 
And if you'd like to enter into a relationship with Christ, the Bible says the way that you do that is through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Faith involves turning from the direction that we're going in, leaving our old life behind. Just like in that story, Shin Yong-Yuk had to leave his camp behind and walk towards freedom. In the Gospels, there's beautiful pictures that are painted where Jesus comes up to people who are tax collectors or fishermen uh, or various professions, and he tells them, follow me. And many of those people got up from where they were, left their way of life behind, and followed after Jesus. That's a picture of what it means to accept Christ. It means leaving our old life behind and resolving to do life with him, in relationship with him in his way. If you here like to enter into a relation with Christ, I'll give you an opportunity and help lead you in that in just a few moments when we pray. But others of us, maybe we're believers, and maybe we need to be reminded that our enemies are in need of God's love. Maybe we need to be reminded of the mission. Maybe we need to be reminded that we need to pray for all people. Pray for those who persecute us, not just some people in some ways. There's a man by the name of Carl Marlentes, who was a Marine lieutenant, served in Vietnam. And he observed how the military creates a sense of unity, even amongst diverse soldiers. He recalls being on a remote jungle hilltop in Vietnam in 1968. And he was asked by a man, by a man named Ray Delgato, who was an 18-year-old Hispanic kid from Texas, if he wanted to try a tamale from a care package that Ray's mother had sent him. Marlantes tried the tamale but complained it was very tough to eat. Lieutenant Ray finally said, you have to take the corn husk off. Years later, Marlantes reflected on how focusing on a common mission can bring different people together. He says, I was from a small town in the Oregon coast. I've heard of tamales, but I've never seen one until I joined my company of Marines in Vietnam. I'd never even talked to a Mexican. I saw how the military brought together young people from diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds and forced them to trust one another with their lives. So I, if I was pinned down by enemy fire and I needed an M79 man, I'd scream for Thompson because he was the best. I don't even, I don't even think about what color Thompson was. White guys had to listen to soul music and black guys had to listen to country music. We didn't fear one another and the experience stuck with us. Hundreds of thousands of young men came home from Vietnam with different ideas about race, some for the worse, but most for the better. Racism wasn't solved in Vietnam, but I believe it was where our country finally learned that it just might be possible for us to get along. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a war going on. And the enemy is not the person sitting to your left or to your right. It's not the co-worker who annoys you. It's not the governor or the president who are above us. But there is an enemy who seeks to destroy us. And we need to be reminded sometimes that there is a mission that God has called us to carry out. And our mission is to share God's love with those around us. To love God and to share his love with those around us. There's enough hate in the world. There's enough anger in the world. And as God's people, we need to be the people who show love to those around us. Praying for all types of people, for all who are in authority, knowing that there's one God and there's one mediator, Jesus Christ.
Because God's love is not for some of us. God's love is for all of us. Let's pray. If you're here today, you've never entered into a relationship with Christ, I'd like to lead you in a prayer if you'd like to do that. It's not a magical prayer, just an expression of your heart and a way to just kind of begin the journey of faith. If you're here, you'd like to enter into a relationship with Christ. Lord, I, if you just pray something like this in your heart, say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I can't save myself. But I believe that you came to the earth. I believe that you gave yourself for me on the cross so that I might experience freedom. God, I want you to come into my life. I want to leave my old life behind. And I want to follow you for the rest of my life in Christ's name. Lord, for those of us who are believers today, Lord, I pray that we would be your agents of love in a world of hate. That we would be your light in darkness. That we wouldn't pray, that we wouldn't love as the world loves, but we would pray as you, in accordance with your heart. Lord, I pray that we would see people not just for their brokenness, but for the fact that they're your children and that you died for them. Lord, soften our hearts. Give us your heart for people. Because we know there's only one God. And there's only one way to that God, and that's through your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you loved us so much that you'd go to the cross to die for us. And help us to have that same love for those around us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.